Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel podcast, where we tackle mission impossible tasks with more gadgets and smarts than Ethan Hunt on a good day. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I'm B2B SaaS founders like you. Scale from seven figures, which is good, eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft a business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. Are you a fan of Mission Impossible? Big popular TV series back in the 60s and has become a huge movie franchise over the last 20 years. Back to the seventh installment, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, hit theaters this summer. Part of the, the plot in the movie, there's an AI called the Entity and woven into the storyline. We talk a lot about AI on the show. And interestingly, after watching the movie, President Biden signed a new executive order on AI. So I don't know if anyone explained that it was just a movie or not. But, uh, you know, technology is moving so, so fast and particularly fast when it comes to AI. The iteration is just unbelievable. I think every company has some things on their Mission Impossible list. But one of those that I never hear is happy customers. Almost every company I've asked says that their service levels are great. It's a strength. You know, we're, we're known, you know, for our service. But we all know companies where that isn't true. So yeah, is it just a myth? We also know companies who really are known for their service levels, and they stand out because we're not all at that level. Uh, Chick-fil-A comes to mind. You know, last time I talked about this, I had several people telling me it was impossible to compare their service levels with Chick-fil-A. I'm like, yeah, of course it isn't. Uh, you know, We can all achieve that kind of a standard, but it takes a commitment. In the world of high-stakes entrepreneurship, envision your customer service team, your client success team, like the IMF, the Impossible Mission Force from Mission Impossible. They are your specially trained operatives who can make or break the customer's perception of your SaaS platform. So we got to make sure that they are mission-ready to turn every support ticket into a showcase of excellence. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. First up... Operation Empowerment. Equip your team with the tools and autonomy they need to solve problems creatively. This means comprehensive training on your product suite and most importantly, the authority to make judgment calls without a, a rule book breathing down their necks. You know, senior leaders know that when team members are empowered, they're proactive. They own the customer relationship and they will bend over backwards to find solutions that stick. And that's really, really important that uh, you empower them to do that and make those decisions. But sometimes you do run into things that, you know, there's just not a place that they fit in the, the mold. I mean, business is messy. So give them the power to make those calls themselves. Next, we want to initiate protocol trust. In a world of espionage, trust is the currency. And in the world of business, it's the foundation. Show genuine trust in your team's capabilities and decision-making. This isn't about leaving them in the field without backup, but about believing in their training and instinct. So it kind of goes back to making sure that you're training them well. When they feel trusted, 
they will act with confidence and authority, leading to swift, decisive actions that will wow your clients and customers wherever they are. Lastly, we want to launch Codename Recognition. Your agents in the field need to know that their hard work is acknowledged and appreciated. So whether it's the agent who just diffused the ticking time bomb of a client issue or the one who is consistently excellent, recognition goes a long, long, long way. Public shout-outs, tangible rewards, and a seat at the table when discussing strategy can boost morale and foster a sense of belonging. And that's one of the things that I was completely blown away with in, in my early days when somebody brought me in to, to help make decisions and sit at a board table when, you know, I was way, you know, they were way above my, my grade, but they brought me in that gave me that sense of belonging and I would do anything uh, for that company. And so I think that's really, really important that we, when we empower our people, when we show that we trust them, when we bring them into the conversation, they will do amazing things. And I've seen that with my own teams as well. So by embracing these three principles, senior leaders can ensure that their customer service teams are not just going through the motions, which we see that all over the place, or that they're just, you know, fulfilling tasks, but they're engaged and driven. And that is a real game change in your organization. So it's one thing to say, Hey, we got great service. It's another to have a team that is completely sold out to the mission and they're engaged. They're driven. They're ready to tackle any mission. It doesn't even matter what it is. I mean, they're all in. They outperform not because you're on top of them or nag them into doing it or shame them into doing it or because you're really nice to them or you're really mean to them. No, they do it. They're all in and they don't just accept the mission, but they commit to it. It's from the heart. It comes from the inside, not from the outside. And that approach doesn't just make good business sense. It creates a legacy of excellence that transcends transactions and transforms customer interactions into experiences worth talking about. This message will self-destruct 10 seconds. If you could use some more help turning those impossible missions into reality, check out my book, Small Fish, Big Pond, building a world-class business that swims circles around competitors. Small Fish, Big Pond delivers powerful marketing and leadership lessons guaranteed to enhance your marketing message, wrap value around your clients, and guide their buying journey to conclude that your company is the only solution for them. It includes step-by-step -step frameworks, time-tested growth principles to attract ideal clients, convert them, and then transform them into your brand ambassadors. Pick up the print, ebook, or audio today at smallfishbigpond.com, Amazon, or your favorite book source. And remember, all book profits go to charity all the time. Our founder on Tuesday was Greg Rich, founder and CEO of Vivantio. The customer fanatics, we talked about challenges faced by companies delivering at high service levels, entering foreign markets, and an innovative approach to using AI for handling tickets. And our expert last week was Mike Porter, president at Print Mail Consultants. Mike and I talked about content marketing, how to engage the SMB market, and delivering content in some surprisingly effective ways. If you missed either one of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. My guest today is Arnob Misra, COO of Exactly. Arnob is a seasoned cloud software exec with a history of leading and collaborating multiple departments together to drive revenue growth strategy and execution. Everyone needs a COO who can do that and understand sales. And such a great guy. Welcome a true SaaS rock star, Arnob Misra. Hey Arnob, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm really uh, looking forward to having this conversation. 
Well, today we're talking all about sales and intelligent revenue and getting smarter, uh, transforming from, you know, sales being pure art to a lot of science. Tell me a little bit about uh, your background and exactly and how you bring intelligence into revenue. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm, uh, so my name is Arnab Mishra. I'm the chief operating officer uh, at Exactly. Uh, we are a SaaS uh, provider of sales performance management and revenue intelligence solutions. We help companies plan for their sales teams, incentivize their sales teams, and then help with kind of the day-to-day execution of the pipeline and the forecast. Uh, so we serve, you know, a cross-section of salespeople, finance professionals, and operational professionals. And so our software really touches a variety of different people who care about revenue, are responsible for driving uh, revenue in the organization. I've been with the company for about six years now. Um, I'm currently, you know, focused on product strategy, R&D, uh, customer success, professional services. So I like to think about my job as, the, you know, all the things that are involved in, you know, innovating around our products, delivering them to our customers, and then making sure that our customers are happy with the solutions that they're getting. So how does intelligent revenue and, and having a platform, how does it benefit businesses? Yeah, I mean, if you think about, you know, sales, I think historically sales has been thought of as this um, very sort of like human artistic sort of endeavor where you, know, you spend a lot yeah. of time pivot, you know, showing empathy and, and, and convincing people of a certain perspective of the world. That is all absolutely true. But I think what we've learned over time is that you have to complement that with a more scientific view of, of sales and how to prosecute deals and how to go, uh, go after markets. And so we definitely spend a, you know, a lot of our time thinking about how can we deliver technology that enables that science, that enables you know, cust- you know, companies to make the best decisions they can with the data they have available or the data that's being generated uh, through all the interactions they're having with customers to make those decisions. And so, so our focus area is very much around that. The way we've solved that problem is through what we call our intelligent uh, revenue platform. And our perspective here is that in order to really solve this problem, you have to think end to end. You know, you really have to solve all of the pieces of the puzzle that impact the ability of a sales team to perform and serve customers well. And that typically, you know, starts with, you know, things that happen well before the sales cycle. So when you're thinking about how do I sort of structure a sales team? You know, how many reps do I need? How do I think about territories? How do I think about the quotas that I should be giving these reps given the territories that they've been given? In a lot of companies today, I think it's very much of an ad hoc process and people are really, you know, doing the best they can with a set of sort of tribal knowledge and heuristics that they may have. Our yeah. view is there's a lot of data here that can help inform those decisions and there's a lot of workflows to bring people together to collaborate around this. So we help with that. And similarly with incentives, you know, the reality is like you can have the best plan, but if the reps aren't given a set of incentives that align with that plan, they're going to do the best they can sort of, you know, in a local optimization way instead of in a globally thought of global optimization way. And so, so we think a lot about, you know, how we can help companies implement incentives that help them go achieve that plan. Uh, and those incentives, you know, you know, run the gamut. We've got you know, customers across verticals, uh, but we help them create those incentives and then manage them. And then once you have the incentives in place, how do you know that the 
sales teams are doing what they need to do day to day, that they're focusing on the right deals, they're taking the right actions on those deals. And so then we provide more science and more data to sort of say, hey, here's your pipeline of deals. Here's the health of those deals. Here's which deals are likely to close. Here's deals that maybe are lagging. And here are the steps that you can take to actually, you know, you know, prosecute those deals and move them forward and provide those insights that are so important for that day-to-day decision-making. I love that. So one thing that you mentioned at the the beginning there was talking about data-driven decisions and uh, and, and doing that. I think it's really important. We hear that all the time, Mm -hmm. but 90, I'd say 98% of the the companies that that I work with, talk to, um, decisions are still made by gut feel. Either they don't have the data or they have the data and they don't trust it. So mm-hmm. how do we become truly data-driven in our decisions? Yeah, and I think that that requires a set of sort of intentional decisions that you know a company needs to make. I mean, to your point, you know, the thing about data is it's sort of garbage in, garbage out. So if you're not yeah. taking the time and the effort to capture the right information, it's going to be hard to be data-driven. I think the good news is that the world has come a long way uh, in that regard. And I think, you know, um, Salesforce, as an example of a a vendor in this space, has done a great job, I think, you know, um, evangelizing the importance of having sort of a centralized system of record that's capturing a lot of around customer interactions. Um, And so, you know, I think you went back 10, 15 years ago, it wouldn't be uncommon to find a company that didn't have a CRM system. Like that was, you know, pretty common. I think today, you find a lot of companies have SFA and, and CRM investments. I think the key thing that we now find is, are you using that CRM system appropriately and to the best of its, to the best of your ability? Um, you still find a lot of sort of CRM deployments that are, you know, the data is kind of dirty or it's inconsistently applied or there isn't a lot of good data hygiene. So generally, you know, the first thing we recommend for our customers is you've got to implement and, and inculcate in your organization um, a set of sort of hygiene and processes where data is getting captured well. Once you have that, um, and our systems, you know, do that, do, do some of that work as well. Once you have that, you have the base layer that you need in order to put sort of intelligence on top of it, application software on top of it that can help you then become, you know, raise the insights out of that data so that you can actually make decisions that are, that are sort of driven by, by the information you're capturing. Uh. And that makes sense, and uh, especially garbage in, garbage out, and uh, and using the system effectively, mm-hmm. having something like a, exactly. And and you say intelligent revenue platform. Are you using artificial intelligence? Yeah, you know, is AI machine learning a piece of that to yeah. help optimize revenue? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, you know, obviously generative AI and AI, you know, more generally has been a hot topic uh, for, for yeah some time now. You know, I think in a lot of ways, you know, we've been preparing for this moment for like for 18 years. You know, we've done a, a number of things going back to our founding that really have set us up well for this moment in time. Um, the three things that I, that I think are, are important that we've done is, one, we have been partnering with our customers since the beginning of our time as a company to capture, you know, empirical sales performance data. So we've actually, you know, put in our customer agreements that you know, our customers will work with us to capture this data, to allow us to anonymize it, to allow us to aggregate it so that we can build this corpus of information that's so important when it comes to training AI models and, and having that you know, substrate of data. Um, you know, over 90% of our customers sort of contribute into this data pool that we have. 
The second thing that we did is we've thought about our technology in a way that it's very good at gathering data across customers and homogenizing that data. So the thing about data sets is if you're not capturing data in a consistent way, it's really hard to use that data because it's, you know, you have these odds and ends kind of data points. We bring it all together in a homogenized way, which is very unique uh, for, you know, in our space in terms of vendors like us. And then the third thing we've done is we've expanded our product portfolio over time. The company was started as uh, focused on incentive compensation. We've added the things that I've talked about, planning and sales forecasting and pipeline management. And as we've added these applications, we've captured a richer and richer data set that we can then put in and into our AI model. So all three of those things, you know, working with our customers, having a technology that's purpose built to capture this information and then expanding our purview across the revenue lifecycle. So we capture more and more data really has given us a very unique vantage point where we have a data set that frankly no one else has today in our industry and in a way that's usable for training AI models. And we are doing more and more around generative AI. So, you know, we, uh, a couple of months ago, uh, announced our generative AI offering. We call it exactly AI Copilot. And so it's obviously the beginning of a journey for us, but we're very excited about the implications of this when it comes to delivering value to our customers. I love that. Yeah, you're definitely in a position where you have access to to lots of data points. You know what's going on in the marketplace and are really able to to feed that in, build a model that that models what's going on now, not you know years ago, or or guesses. So I think that's really really unique about what you're doing, especially with AI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, our view is that you know we think about AI as helping in a, in a variety of different ways. So one is we think about how can we leverage, in particular, generative AI to make data analytics and data insights much more usable for, for users. Uh, and if you think about kind of the old line reporting and analytics, it's very much of what I would call a hunt and peck paradigm, right? I pull up a report, yeah. I drill down into the report, I'm sort of looking for that nugget of knowledge that's going to help me make a decision. Generative AI is going to be super helpful in making that more of a conversation between the user and the data. Right. Asking the questions that you're looking for answers for, being able to refine your thinking as you're asking those questions. And so I think there's going to be a massive shift in the user paradigm around how, you know, companies, uh, how users interact with the data that all these systems are capturing. The second thing that I think. Is super I think yeah, go ahead. I think you're exactly right. That uh, a lot of times, especially, you know, operations or sales or, or leadership, we know what the data that we want but don't necessarily know how to get that or how to get the answers. But we know the questions that we're asking. And sometimes somebody has to go build a report or do something special to get us the data. And so I think that's that's such a game changer, just to be able to ask a question and, and get back an answer that you can make a decision on right now. Yeah, completely agree. Um, and I think, you know, that's the first, in our mind, that's the first layer of value that generative AI is going to deliver. And I think a lot of the, things that you're seeing kind of come out in the marketplace, you know, are kind of, you know, looking in that direction of how do you harness all of this data, you know, all these software intermediated react you know, interactions that are getting capturing information and how do you leverage that? Um, we also think there are opportunities around automating workflows, particularly in enterprise SaaS applications. You know, if you think about a SaaS application, obviously it's a great repository of data, but then it's also helping you run a business process, right? And depending on, yeah, 
how broad or complex that business process is, maintaining and configuring and managing that business process can be a job unto itself. Uh, and our view is that you can take generative AI and use that mechanism to instruct the machines. So instead of going in and configuring a bunch of stuff in an application, and then when the executive team says, hey, we want to change our business process and do something differently, and someone goes back in and then changes, you know, goes back and munges those processes again, you know, there's an opportunity, we think, with generative AI to sort of say, well, okay, here's what I want the machine to do. Here's what the business process should look like. And then the machine goes off and says, okay, given what you want, here's how you would configure this. Here's, let me go off and configure it. And let me give you sort of like that configuration back so that you can test it. And we think that is a, equally as potentially powerful because, you know, in a lot of enterprise software applications, the amount of knowledge you have to have to manage those applications tends to be pretty high. Like you need to know how this thing works and how you can get it to do things. Here, it would significantly reduce that level of knowledge, which would then mean that a broader set of people could actually effectively use the software to deliver value to the business. Uh, that is pretty amazing. It's really, really good thinking. Very forward thinking. I like that. Yeah. Well, as we think about uh, sales planning, you know, what are the, the key elements of a successful go-to-market strategy in today's SaaS landscape? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there are so many, but I think, you know, the first, you know, the way I think about planning is it's sort of like a two-sided coin. On one side, you have to really understand the markets that you're serving and the current state of those markets, right? So what is buyer mm -hmm. demand like? Um, you know, what are the segments that we're serving? What are the different use cases? Because if you have a good understanding of the markets that you're serving, it helps you inform the other side of the coin, which is how do I set set up, you know, my teams to go attack what I'm seeing uh, in the marketplace. Um, and so in our applications, you know, we provides sort of the ability to model both sides of the external market as well as the internal teams that's going that are going to go address that market. So for example, in our territory uh, product, you know, we allow you to pull in external data that tells you here's how many customers are in, you know, the world that I'm addressing. Here's how I can divide them up. Ah. Here's the potential spend of those customers or the, you know, the, the total addressable market opportunity for those customers. And so, you know, we provide the ability to bring that sort of outside in view into the planning process. And then from there, we provide a set of tools that allow you to model what different go to market strategies could look like. What happens if I take my team and I separate them into a hunter farmer model? What happens if I do a hybrid rep model? What happens if I set up my territories in one way? What happens if I go regional? What happens if I go vertical based? You know, what happens if I do logical territories instead of physical territories? And in many cases, what you find in companies is like is the sales leader will have like a set of biases around what they think will work. But what yes. we do is we validate those biases or we dispute or we or we negate those biases by saying, oh, you know, the data says uh, that it's something different. Wow. Yeah, that, that is really, really good. I think you're right. A lot of times it's that the leader has an idea and it's like, this worked in this company and we're going to do the same thing here because I know that works. Mm -hmm. And maybe it does, but having the, the data there and actually being able to make a, a much more informed decision is that's just gold. Yeah. And this is a place where I think, you know, AI can be really helpful, right? Because 
as you're going through these modeling choices, right? Because if you think about planning, planning is just an output based on a bunch of assumptions, right? Like we're assuming, yes, yes. you know, three dozen things. I think mean, we've actually tried to map it out, you know, for ourselves. And we think there's in any kind of plan, there's typically like three dozen to four dozen different assumptions. And the reality is that if any one of these assumptions is off, or if you have a bunch of assumptions that are slightly off, you end up being you know, pretty far off of the target. And so this is where we think AI and data analytics can be helpful because you know, the system can then tell you, hey, based on all the information that we have and all the information that's been provided, we think this assumption should be this, or it should be in this range. And one of the things that we spend a lot of time thinking about is explainability of AI. Right. Because one of the things that people sometimes get hung up on is, well, the AI system is telling me this, but I don't it doesn't really comport with my intuition. And I don't really. Right. believe it, Right. And so the way we've tried to manage that is to say, OK, the system is giving you this prediction. Here's why. Here are the factors that are going into this prediction. Here's how it's sort of like, you know, maybe it's something that swings prediction one way versus another way. So you get a sense for how the machine has been processing this information. I almost said thinking, but the machine is not thinking. The machine is processing this information. And so you can decide, okay, do I go with what the machine is saying or do I more heavily weight one of the things it's talking about or an external factor and change it for myself? And so you really take this away from a world where everything's kind of done from the hip and people are just sort of you know, making assumptions based on a set of heuristics to something that's much more data informed uh, in the way that it's done. That's really smart. Yeah, I think the sales plans are one of the, the hard things. It's you know, a big mystery of uh, here's where we need to get to and here's the, the plan that we're going to get there. And, uh, and if the model doesn't work, then they just change the numbers <laughs> to make the model, you know, look better. But it yeah. doesn't necessarily change the the underlying assumptions or the real data behind it. Yeah, so I think yeah. being able to make better true. decisions. Yeah. yeah, you know the other thing I would add here is the very you know when you think about sales planning, there's also a very human sort of collaboration focused element to it, right? So if you think about a sales plan, there's obviously the top down, which is you know the the board and the and the senior executive team saying. Here are the goals that we want to achieve next year, you know, and that's typically driven by, you know, thoughts around market share and top line revenue growth and other sort of strategic imperatives. But then there's also sort of this bottoms up, view, right, because the sales teams and the sales reps are close to the deals are close to the customers and they know kind of what they think is possible in any given period of time. And planning is really a reconciliation of those two views. Right. We have these corporate goals that you know are coming from a set of strategic right. objectives. But then there's sort of like the, the reality on the ground of what's achievable, what's a stretch, what's a layup, you know, what's easy. And so that collaboration is really hard to do in the absence of software. Right. Because, you know, what it looks like in most companies without software in this process is a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of emails, a lot of ad hoc meetings. Right. Where people are trying to triangulate around what should this plan be? Our view is that if you use the if you use our, if you use software our software exactly software to run this process, not only do you get the AI data driven decision making, but you also get the built in collaboration that our software provides, where you know different mm -hmm. people across the organization can add in their own content and, and and intellect into what they think the numbers should be. You can track all of those things, you can reconcile it, you can have 
approvals and workflows that allow people to say, hey, yeah, I buy off on that assumption or that plan. Let me move it on to my manager so that they can take a look at it and sort of keeping an audit trail of all of that so people know, hey, is everyone weighed in on this? Does everyone agree with what we're doing here before we hit you know, the finalization stamp uh, on this plan? And I think both the AI piece and this collaboration piece are equally valuable uh, and are both frankly needed if you're going to do a good job of sales planning and organizations. Yeah. Well, it's like the, the collaboration is the eternal balancing act, you know, aligning sales teams objectives with the, the broader revenue goals of the organization. And how do you do that without, you know, crushing creativity or, or initiative within the sales team? Yeah. I mean, I think, look, I think um, for every sales team and for every organization, the, the, the line that you're trying to, to, to balance is setting a set of goals that are achievable, but that require a bit of a stretch for everyone to stretch and everyone to think you know, harder about how to get there. You know, in yeah. any company, having unreal, unrealistic expectations is completely demotivating and frankly is not super helpful for the company at all. But then also lowballing your expectations potentially leaves money on the table and doesn't sort of give people the motivation and the incentives to really think differently and to, and to stretch themselves. And this yeah. is where I think data-driven sales planning that has a great deal of collaboration in it is the way to get to that, you know, realistic, but stretch, but achievable goals uh, that every company is trying to kind of put into their plans. So we've got uh, the sales plan, and then how do we take that, roll it out to the reps, and then align compensation around that? I think that's one of the things that's missing is there's a lot of times a misalignment in the activities that we want or the, the goals that we set and the way that pe- the sales reps are compensated. Yeah, that, that is 100% true. Um, you know, we see it all the time, you know, in prospects that we're talking to where the compensation plan is typically devoid, you know, is, is somehow there's there's an air gap between the compensation plan and what the corporate yeah. plan needs. Um, and so, you know, our view is that that is an eminently solvable problem. Um, it requires a little bit of, you know, thinking and alignment across the different stakeholders. And again, that whole notion of collaboration, you know, rears its head again, because if you're, if you've collaborated well between you know, the sales teams, the finance teams and the operations teams and the executive teams and setting up the plan. It's now much easier for those people to now collaborate around the compensation plan as well, because sometimes what happens is the sales plan gets created and then the compensation plan is almost treated like a different step, like something that's separate from it. When the reality right. is it's a continuation, right? And which is why in our view of the intelligent revenue platform, that's why these two things make sense to pull together into a single platform because they're inextricably mm-hmm. linked. You know, your territory and quota decisions um, impact your, your incentive compensation plan. And generally what we found is that when you create that alignment, the right incentives follow, right? Because, you know, the people who are you know, running these things, you know, are, you know, generally we find our customers are really good at what they do. It's just having that clarity around what the plan needs and thus what the compensation elements should be that, uh, that, you know, not having that air gap is what allows you know, these incentive plans to be, to be very effective. Our general view is that simpler compensation plans are better. You know, if, yeah. if, you, if you need to you know, take a course to understand how your comp plan works, you know, from a rep perspective, you're probably going to have a tough time 
you know, maximizing that comp plan, which is, in, 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 you know, what the company would want you to do. So we generally, you know, um, guide our customers to, you know, fewer measures, more, uh, you know, a, m- a more straightforward sort of model where you don't have you know, a lot of gating or a lot of, you know, things that you got to do this before you can do that, before you can do this in order to make your, your comp. Um, and then we generally also, uh, you know, uh, recommend to our customers that, you know, you should reward over performance, right? So the notion of, you know, a, a, cur- a curved pay structure or, you know, accelerators or, or SPIFs where there's an opportunity to, you know, uh, earn more if you're doing certain things that are highly strategic to the business. Those are all good ways to make sure that the incentive plan is aligned with the sales plan and the company's corporate objectives. Uh, that's really good. I don't hear simple, you know, simplify nearly enough. And that's, I have conversations all the time. And, you know, if a sales team is underperforming, you know, one of the things you look at is compensation and, and even ask the reps, you know, how is it, how do you make money? How are you paid? And a lot of times, way too often, they can't really articulate it because it, it's so convoluted that, uh, you know, they, they know I, I sell this and I get paid. And, you know, the, the things that they understand, they sell. And the, the pieces of the, the comp plan that they don't understand, they just ignore those. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, we, um, you know, because we collect all of this data across customers and we're, you know, anonymizing it and aggregating it. You know, we've been able to look at that data and it's shown us that, you know, comp plans that have anywhere between three and four measures tend to be the most effective comp plans, right? That, yeah. you know, you, you tend to lose something, you know, as you get up beyond, you know, three or four measures and you tend to like not capture everything you need if you're below, you know, three or four measures. And so there seems yeah. to be from the data that we've seen like a sweet spot and you'll be amazed at how many you know companies are sort of outside of that sweet spot. You know, they've got, yeah. they've got so many measures that a rep is sort of like doing, you know, multivariable calculus to sort of understand how do these measures play? How do I optimize this measure for that measure? And it, it just gets, they spend way too much time on that versus spending the time doing the thing that's actually going to add value for them and for the company, which is engaging with customers, you know, and, and solving their problems. I like that. And that, and that just makes so much sense. Three or four. I mean, do this, get that. And and it just makes it really, really easy for them when they really understand what it is that they're supposed to do. And they can go do that over and over and over again. And that's where they get traction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really good. Well, once we've got to that aligned and going to market, then we've got the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of those pipeline reports, you know, what's real, what's not. Uh, what is likely to close? What's completely made up? Mm-hmm. You know, how can we create pipelines and forecasts with confidence? What is the secret sauce for yeah. maintaining pipeline accuracy? Yeah, I mean, this is sort of the bane of every salesperson and sales manager, yes. right? Um, <laughs> and I think, look, our view is that you know this is a discipline that is born of experience. And it's born of, you know, there is something to the intuition that salespeople develop over time around which deals are likely to close and which deals aren't likely to close. And, and you know, you got to look in the whites of your customers' eyes and really listen to what they're saying to sort of make that judgment. And so our view is that in the near term, we're not replacing that intuition. What we're doing is we're adding a layer of data to help guide that intuition uh, and to mm. make it more valuable. And so... I very much view 
pipeline man our pipeline management and forecasting capabilities as not a replacement for the forecasting work that the sales team does, but really as an augmentation uh, of that work. And and there it's really you know leveraging all the things that you know software and technology is good for, capturing all the information and all the data that's happening and all of these interactions uh, that that. Yeah, that reps are having with customers. You know, for us, that data could be captured in a CRM system. It could be captured in an email thread. It could be captured in a call recording that's happening and the transcript that comes out of that recording. All of those data points help our, our forecasting application understand the health of a deal. Once mm-hmm. we have all that information, then it's the job of the AI system to sort of say, hey, I'm going to capture all of these data points. I have a sense, a model of what good looks like. And let me give you sort of you know, a view into the health of this opportunity. And then from there, let me, given all of the other deals that I've seen, tell you what I think needs to happen in order for this deal to go from its current health level to a higher health level to a closed opportunity. Again, all of these things are in many ways guidelines and a, and a, and a navigational map, if you will, for the rep and the manager to decide what do we do next? How should we classify this deal? Should this go into our commit? Is this really a best case deal or is this a deal that it's not likely going to happen, you know, this quarter or this month or this week, whatever the case might be. And it helps them get much more, um, you know, accurate and much more, um, you know, um, data driven around around how they're doing uh, their pipeline and forecasting. That's really, really good. I think one of the, the things that fascinates me about our conversation is uh, is your title. And and you you're not the typical salesperson. And I think it's really fascinating uh how a tool like Exactly or uh, something similar can unite sales, marketing and finance which are a lot of times butt heads uh, especially in larger organizations. I think it's really interesting. Talk a little bit about that and just what about the collaboration and alignment between the different teams in the organization? Yeah. And that is, you know, a lot of companies struggle with that, that whole, that, that alignment. It's a great call out that you provided. And I think, you know, my perception of it is a lot of that is driven by the fact that everybody, all of these groups have a different view into the world, right? So they're looking at everything from a little bit of a different angle. Their finance looks at it one way. Sales and marketing looks at it a different way. And as a result, everybody's got their own peephole into the universe. And the part of the universe they're seeing, you know, is informing their thinking. And people and there isn't sort of a common view of the reality of what's happening. And I think part of that is because historically these either these systems haven't been or these um, groups haven't been um, you know, driven by software. They haven't been sort of they haven't made the investments in software or the investments they've made are highly siloed. Right. So when we thought about the intelligent revenue platform, part of our thinking is that by pulling everything together into a platform, what you're doing is you're building this alignment. You're building the alignment between the finance, sales and marketing teams because everything is in the same platform. All the data is unified. So we're not looking at, you know, we're not each looking at sort of our set of data. We're all looking at all of the data and we're able to now collaborate. And so generally what we find, and I think, you know, the RevOps movement is a great sort of, uh, I think the intent of the RevOps movement is largely this, is bringing these diverse perspectives together to create yeah. one unified perspective so that we're not debating the facts anymore. We're debating what we should do given a common set of facts. And, and we definitely find, you know, in companies that have deployed all of our software 
they quickly move into this mode where now it's not, hey, I've got my facts, you've got your facts, and you know the other group's got their facts, and then we're all drawing conclusions. Right. Now it's, hey, we've all got the facts. It's the same set of facts. And now we're working collaboratively to figure out, okay, what do we do to move the business forward? Yeah, that's good. I, I love that. You're not arguing about the facts, but what do we do with the facts? Yeah. Exactly. So that's, that's where we, that's the discussions we should be having. But a, yeah. a lot of times it's, it's not. We are arguing about, you know, what, what the facts are. You know, is that the data correct or seeing it from the different perspectives? And so I like that, that you're able to really kind of see that holistic view. And so it, it breaks down silos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we, you know, if you look at companies that are performing sort of in the top quartile, top decile, the thing that they have in common is that these groups that all touch revenue, care about revenue, are working much more closely together and in concert than you know competitors or other companies that haven't figured out how to get these groups to work well together. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's do some myth busting. Uh, what is the biggest misconception about revenue intelligence or RevOps that uh, that you'd like to to clear up? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, I think one myth that happens is, oh, we want to invest in this because it's going to just automate some stuff for us, and so we'll need less people to do that, and so we'll get some cost savings. That is 100% true, right? If these systems and our applications meaningfully reduce the amount of human labor that's required, but the real value of that is that it frees people up to do the strategic value-added work that they want to be doing, right? I mean, when we talk to our users, especially ones who are prospects who haven't adopted our software yet, the thing that we hear over and over again is, man, I spend so much of my day doing these mundane, rote tasks just to keep the kind of machine running, if you will, Right, And if I could just get out of doing that, then I could do all the value-added strategic work that's good for the business, that help me contribute more to the business, and frankly, it's good for my career because you know that's what's yeah. going to allow me to get noticed. It's what's going to allow me to grow you know, as a professional. And so, and so I think people get really focused on the, on the efficiencies and the cost reduction, and, and that's great. You know, we, you know, we, we continue to deliver that value, but the real sort of game changer and the thing that makes a significant you know, step function difference for our customers is the ability to make better decisions, to be more nimble uh, in sort of adjusting and course correcting you know, as things in the market change, and to allow people the time and, and the bandwidth to think about these things and really apply you know, their knowledge. So, so when we talk to customers, we say, great, you know, you're going to get the cost savings, and frankly, in a lot of cases, that more than pays for the software. But the real value you're going to get is in performance improvements, revenue, you know, top line revenue growth, which is going to be a function of the fact that your teams now are going to be better aligned. They're going to be collaborating better. They're going to have data at their fingerprints to make better decisions. And all of that is going to help you drive better performance in your organization. Yeah. So in addition to the top line revenue, does it also affect customer churn and increase lifetime value? Yeah, I mean, so through our applications, you know, one, if you're, you know, planning well, you're more likely addressing your ICP and you're going after customers who are the best fit uh, for your products. And so that naturally will have an impact on churn uh, and it'll, it'll improve, you know, retention and customer satisfaction. Similarly, if your incentive plan is de- delivered in such a way that you're incentivizing your reps to sell the right combination 
of products and services to your customers that you know delivers the greatest success for your customers, you're more likely to have customers that are buying enough of your wares that they're going to be you know, happy for life as opposed to, you know, in certain cases, you know, we have you know, companies that treat a dollar as a dollar as a dollar. I don't care if they're selling them the blue widget, the red widget or the yellow widget. When the reality is for certain customers, it's the blue and the red widget together. That's sort of the, the, the secret sort of to, to customer happiness. And so you can embed that in your uh, incentive plans and that results in mm. you know, better you know, customer happiness. Um, and so we know that, you know, in the end, if I were to abstract away, I'd say that being data driven and really understanding through the data what good looks like for your business is really the key to to uh, to solving for customer happiness and, and customer success. Yeah, yeah. Well, besides MRR and churn, what are some maybe unconventional metrics that sales teams should be paying attention to? Yeah. I mean, so the way we think about it is there's sort of like input metrics and output metrics. So the output metrics okay. are like, you know, bookings and ARR and sort of those things that, you know, investors in Wall Street tend to care about. On the input yep. side, you know, it's things like, you know, what is your distribution of quota attainment across your across your sales team, right? Are you having mm. a situation where, you know, a good chunk of your team is is at a good percentage of their overall attainment. It differs for companies, but you know, like the, the, a good benchmark is like is eighty percent of your team at eighty percent attainment, right? Which would be you know a, a very healthy team. I mean, very hard to yeah. achieve. You typically, get a you know a bit more of a, a bimodal distribution or a normal distribution. But that is a great input metric because if you can get a good distribution of attainment, you're probably going to go hit your numbers anyway. But it also means yeah. that you're doing a great job in a variety of other areas when it comes to onboarding your reps, training your reps, making sure their territories are robust, that the incentives are aligned so that they're driving the right, you're driving the right behaviors so that they can uh, achieve their goals. So I think, you know, that's that's sort of a important one. The other one that I, the other metrics that we think tend to be important are around, you know, conversion rates, just generally conversion rates, mm-hmm. right? If you look at your funnel, what are your conversion rates from stage to stage and optimizing those conversion rates and really understanding where the drop offs are can be really helpful in understanding, you know, where am I, where, where in our process are things not working? We also, yeah. you know, look at conversion rates against like, how often are we looking at deals that aren't getting done? There's just no decision because that might, you know, inform you, inform for you when your targeting is off or maybe you're not making the value case as strongly as you could and the customer doesn't feel compelled to necessarily move forward with the purchase. And so I think all of these things are input metrics, right, that really give you a, a sense for the health of your go-to-market teams and in the, in the performance and the, the execution of those teams. Yeah, I like that. I mean, no decision has got to be one of the biggest enemies of, of any sales team. I mean, mm-hmm. I see that all the time. Yeah. And uh, you go through the entire process and it, it, nothing happened. Yeah. So, you know, why? What, what were we doing wrong? Where are things falling apart? And, you know, what stage? I, I like that tracking from stage to stage. It doesn't happen nearly enough. Well, you busted one great myth. And, uh, and there's another one that actually um, your CEO, Christopher Cabrera, has a new book out today called mm-hmm. The Unicorn Fallacy. Tell me about that. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, Chris has been, you know, thinking about this book for uh, quite some time now. It's exciting that it's out in the world uh, for people to consume. I think he's aggregated years and years of experience uh, as an entrepreneur and as a CEO into the book, and 
uh, people should go out and get it. Uh, I've had the privilege of being able to read an early copy. And so it'll definitely be worth uh, you know, folks' time. And I think, you that know, and I think, you know, this is largely born of, frankly, the moment we're in. It's very apropos for the moment we're in, because if you go back, you know, the last three, five, seven years, especially if you've been in the tech industry, it has been a growth at all costs sort of world, right? Where, right. you know, what, the only thing that mattered is growth. Uh, it didn't really matter if you were growing by, you know, setting piles of money on fire, uh, every revenue dollar was a good <laughs> revenue dollar. You know, that was sort of the world we lived in. And frankly, you know, I think people were reacting to the context that they were in, you know, for a long time. Sure. You know, the, you know, money was effectively free. You know, central banks around the world had kept interest rates at, at or near zero. And so there was just mass liquidity and money plowing and, and money was accessible uh, for folks. Over the last 18 months, as you know, I think most of your listeners know, the world has changed pretty dramatically, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, we've had inflation rear its head across the globe. We've had central banks around the world increase interest rates. Capital now costs something. Um, and when capital costs something, costs something, investors expect a return on that capital. And that return yeah. typically comes in the form of profitability, right? And so now we've gone from a grow-at-all-costs model to a how-do-you-grow-efficiently and profitable. And so, you know, I think Chris is, is provide, will provide, provides in his book a really interesting perspective on that. Um, and I think it sort of aligns with a lot of the things that we've been talking about today, where, you know, if you are going to grow efficiently and profitably, it requires you to bring that science, that data-driven approach, that collaboration across all the people in your company and harnessing all of their knowledge and, and, and skills in order to drive that efficiency. And I think, you know, we are probably, you know, in an age now for the foreseeable future where successful companies are going to be ones that are able to harness their resources most effectively, be most efficient in how they grow. Uh, and I think, you know, the book does a good job of sort of framing that discussion and providing some guidance around kind of what strategies could look like. And if you could leave us with one piece of advice, companies looking maybe to revamp their sales process um, you know, and, and really grow and have a sales process that works, you know, what would that, that be? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, what we tell our customers is, you know, take a systems level view of your sales team and your go-to-market motion. You know, I think it's very easy for even executives to get hung up on, what are the three deals we have to close this quarter in order to, to make the quarter? And yeah. that is a never ending treadmill that you're on or hamster wheel, you know, whatever analogy you want to use. And so what we you know, ask our customers to do is take a step back and think about what are the systems that I need to put in place to scale, to make this replicatable, to make this efficient, and then intentionally put a roadmap in place that gets you from where you are today to that end state. You know, you're not, you know, Rome was not built in a day. Delivering yeah. systematic performance is not going to happen overnight, but you've got to take that first step. And we strongly encourage, you know, uh, our customers to think about which steps are the highest value. How can I sequence these steps to get to a position where I have an integrated intelligent revenue platform that's helping me solve for all of these different challenges so that I'm systematically growing my business? And so that's sort of our view of the world. Uh, it's working for a number of our customers, uh, and you know we love to you know talk to people about it. It's sort of you know our passion, and 
And uh, and hopefully this that's something that folks can take away from this discussion. Very good. At what stage should companies be thinking about implementing this? I mean, how many reps or at what revenue level? I mean, it's it's a DNA that frankly any company should be building from pretty early on. Um, you know, yeah. I would say once you get to you know definitely once you get to 20, 30, 40 reps and beyond, you know, you should really be spending time on it because you know once you get to that point and you can't manage everything, you know, in one conference room uh, with a couple of, you know, pizza pies to, to feed the team. You're at the point where, yeah. you know, you probably need to get much more regimented about how you're managing the team, how you're bringing people into the fold, how you're making sure you make them successful. Uh, and so and so the, the, the great thing about the, the application software we have is that it's highly applicable to companies that have thousands and tens of thousands of reps as it is down to companies that have dozens of reps. Very good. Where can people learn more about you and about Exactly online? Yeah, so check us out on our website uh, at Exactly Corp. So Exactly starts with an X. We, we don't have an E in our name, so it's x a c t l y corp c o r p dot com. You can learn all about our products, our you know the technology we're deploying, you know the customers who are using us, and you can learn something about our, our team as well. We've got a, a management page up there. Outstanding. Hey, Arnab, thanks for being on SaaS Fuel today. Really enjoyed our conversation. Awesome, Jeff. It's been great to be on, and thanks for having me. Thanks again, Arnab, for coming on the show and sharing your insights and expertise. You can learn more about Arnab and Exactly at exactlycorp.com. Remember, Exactly starts with an X. So just like there's no X in Espresso and there's no E in Exactly, so it's just Exactly. And some of you are like, there's no X in Espresso? (laughs) No, there's not. Got a funny story about that. Ask me, I'll tell you. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. And be sure to check us out on YouTube. Full-length episodes, shorts, lots more content there. Subscribe or follow us. And everyone who subscribes this week gets a Velvet Rope Vaporizer. Because you should always be rolling VIP. You know Why have barriers to your VIP status when you can miss them out of existence wherever you go? There you go. Subscribe today. Grab that velvet rope vaporizer. Well, join us next Tuesday where our founder is Cameron Harold, founder of the COO Alliance and Second in Command podcast. He has built two $100 million companies and another as COO. We'll be talking about what makes a great second in command, the role of the COO, and how the right executor skyrockets growth. And then next week on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, we have James Allen from Profit Your Knowledge, where we talk about how to engage your prospects, adding value around your solution, and some interesting ways to monetize your content. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.